Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We will also include a testimony of people who have experienced her love and grace in their own lives. So welcome to the program and let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. O loving God, we give you thanks and praise for all your graces, for all the blessings that you pour out on us so abundantly every day. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your witness on how to forgive. We thank you, Lord, for the witness of your mother on how to forgive. And as we look at this topic today, Lord, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds that we might enter into new and wonderful mystery of the cross, the mystery of living a life united with you, dear Jesus, imitating you and joining our love and forgiveness with yours. And dear Mother, we ask you to be with us, to open our hearts, to fill us with wisdom and insight. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Many years ago, I heard a talk about the need for forgiveness to others. It made a huge impact on me. And then later in my own journey, I had to apply so much of what was covered in that talk that I really took it to heart. And it became an important part of my journey. It was like where the intellect and the experience of the heart met. And these understandings really infused and became a practical reality for me. So I'd like to share some of this with you today. You know, it's been said that to be filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to have everything. And this is so true. But it's also true that there are ways that we can block the Holy Spirit. And one of the key ways that we block the Holy Spirit from working in our lives is through unforgiveness. We've heard the old saying, to error is human, to forgive is divine. This saying recognizes how easy it is for us to fail, to sin. But while it is important to forgive, the quote implies that it's not really possible without divine grace. We can look at the life of Mary 
and see how much she must have been called to forgive constantly through her life and in major ways. So with the life of Mary, we're presented with a beautiful model on how we should act. If we reflect just on the passion of Jesus alone, how Mary had to witness those insults, the torture, and ultimately the murder of her own innocent son. And throughout all this, Mary remained silent, in prayer, dying to herself, and accepting the will of God in the most difficult of situations. How hard would it be for us to forgive if we had to go through similar situations? So how do we cope with situations when we're called to forgive? And why is it important that we do forgive in any case? Well, to answer that question, we need to back up a little and look at what Jesus teaches us about the need to forgive others. We see this in the Gospels, in many places in the Gospels. But a good starting point for us is where Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. When we think about the topic of dealing with sin, we generally think about the sins that we have committed. We could call these sins that we have committed active sin, our active sin that we actively participate in. But Jesus teaches us in the Our Father, and we'll look at this in a moment, that we need to deal with the sin that has been committed against us as well. We could call the sins that have been committed against us passive sin. We are victims of this sin passively. So we can say that we have two types of sin. First, those that we commit ourselves, which we're going to call active sin, and those that have been committed against us, which we call passive sin. In other words, passive sin is where we have been the victim of the sin of others. Now let's look at the Our Father. You know the prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. goes on. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, when we look at this, Jesus seems to heavyweight the importance of forgiving others. He makes it clear that the amount we will be forgiven will be proportionate to the amount that we forgive others. Now, we're not saying this is easy. In fact, without grace, it's impossible. But before we begin to deal with the how of forgiveness, we must get a clear understanding and importance of the why. Because to forgive is to be like Jesus. Every person's salvation is dependent upon Jesus' forgiveness. But we, in turn, are called to forgive others. We can't expect Jesus to forgive us if we're not forgiving others. That's in direct conflict with what it means to be a Christian. The person seeking holiness wants to imitate Jesus. When we do not forgive others, then we fail to imitate Jesus. Often it's easier to forgive ourselves when we sin, but harder to forgive others who have sinned against us. And the way we interpret the way Jesus said it in the Our Father, we get a real sense that Jesus is trying to help us to discover this reality. If we don't forgive, it will destroy us. In a sense, we are giving the other person power and control over us. 
So it's not a matter of forgiving and giving in to that person. On the contrary, we forgive to be free of the effects of that person's sin and power over our lives. Now, the compelling aspect in all of this is that if we do not deal effectively with our passive sin list, then in time, it will end up on our active sin list. Why? Because the wounds of passive sin are deep and painful. And unless they are healed, they will eventually begin to cause us to sin through our anger, aggression, revenge, violence, resentment, even beginning with gossip. It can express itself in just about any sin you want to mention. Now in confession, we get so caught up in dealing with our active sin that we sometimes forget Jesus' importance that he stressed about passive sin. And our attitude towards sin committed against us, our passive sin in other words, is to be the yardstick for how much forgiveness I will receive for my active sin. We can suffer and hurt so much in our lives because of not dealing with passive sin, that sin that we have been victims of. Remember, we live in a sinful world. From the moment we enter the world, we are victims of passive sin. Even the birth process itself can be wounding. In fact, we are victims of the sin of others through words, actions and even inactions before we even reach the age of consent, before we are able to even start to sin actively. So you can see how everyone needs to deal with these wounds in some form or another. And as we said, the paradox in all this is the passive sin committed against me can get on to my own active sin list by how I react to what others have done to me. We could say it is a sin to be overcome by passive sin, the sin of others. So the accumulation of life's hurts can make us bitter and resentful and even hateful. We have to bring these to Jesus for healing. How do we do this? Well, from the words of the Our Father, he teaches us that all sin has to be dealt with with one word. And the one word that Jesus teaches us in the Our Father is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the one word that deals with all sin. So for my active sin, I receive forgiveness passively. For passive sin, I give forgiveness actively. Did you catch that? For active sin, I receive forgiveness passively, as per confession. For passive sin, I give forgiveness actively. So I have to do something about this sin committed against me. I can't sit back and do nothing. I have to actively, I have to participate in this. I have to join with Jesus If you like, we can say that we work in partnership with Jesus in our own healing and forgiveness. God forgives me and I am required to forgive others. But the first cannot happen without the second. Jesus tells me that I receive my forgiveness in the measure that I am giving it to others. Now there's a profound mystery in this because what it involves is a declaration of unity with Jesus. It's beautiful. Now, there are two critical aspects to correctly understand when we talk about forgiveness. 
And when I learnt to understand these concepts, everything changed for me in my struggle to forgive. It's a little complex, but if you can just listen carefully and dive in deep and allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten our hearts. The crucial concept of this whole aspect of forgiveness is the difference between the role of the will and the role of feelings. Now we have free will. So while we have free will, we could say that we don't have free feelings. Only our will is free, not our feelings. What do we mean by that? Well, to put it another way, Satan can never attack your will. Only your feelings. Your will is free in that sense, free from attack. But not your feelings. That's the battleground. So we have to be clear how the enemy works. Satan is going to attack your feelings. Why? In order to get you to hand over your will to his will. It's a battle of wills. The will of the Father versus the will of Satan. The will of the Father, Jesus Christ, versus the will of the Antichrist. And it's a reality. So the enemy then attacks us on the level of feelings in order to get us to submit our will to his. By attacking your feelings, Satan, whom Jesus called the father of lies, will lie to us, trying to convince us that because of what we are feeling, we should follow things his way, his will. God, however, calls us to be led not by feelings, but by the will and not our will, his will, his perfect will of love for us. Now we did a whole session on the importance of the will of God, but that's what it is. God's will is the best thing that can happen to us. It's his expression of his perfect will of love for us. If we are led by the will, God's will, and uniting our will with his will, The feelings will always follow later. Follow into resurrection where they are healed. So, bringing this all together then, we can only forgive by making an act of the will. You'll hear people say, I can't forgive because I don't feel like it. It's got nothing to do with feelings. That is the great deception of Satan telling you it's all about feelings. If we wait until the feelings are ready to forgive, it will never happen. And that's exactly where Satan wants us to be. So the golden rule about forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is first an act of the will. Now, your feelings might be crying out in total objection. I can't feel any forgiveness. But in these times, it's necessary to ignore the feelings and make an act of the will. Because if we do this, the feelings will be dealt with later. And they will, in the long term, be healed. They will experience resurrection. But only after the will has made the right decision. And in this case, the right decision is to forgive. If we lead with feelings, we can never experience the freedom and the joy that forgiveness can offer us. So we begin with an act of the will. And when we do that, the feelings 
experience that joy and happiness later. Notice how Satan attacks us. The father of lies will just give us more lies. You can't make an act of the will when you're feeling so bad. That's being hypocritical. No, it's not being hypocritical. It's imitating Jesus. Satan does battle with us on the field of feelings. We have to be careful with feelings. And that, by the way, is why we should tread cautiously when we are discerning and feelings or signs get involved because we can so easily be fooled by the enemy. But that's a whole different topic. So we want to imitate Jesus then. Let's look at how Jesus followed these principles when he was attacked on the level of his feelings. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus suffers immensely. Scripture tells us that Jesus says, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Oh my gosh, that is a powerful statement. We talk about the agony in the garden. The word agony comes from a Greek word which literally means a conflict between two warring sides. So to enter into the full meaning of Jesus' agony in the garden, it helps to know that his agony was not just mere suffering, but a conflict, a conflict between himself and Satan. We look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to feel sorrow and distress. He said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He advanced a little and fell prostrate in prayer, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. When he returned to his disciples, he found them asleep. He said to Peter, So you could not keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not undergo the test. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Withdrawing a second time, he prayed again, My father, if it is not possible that this cup pass without my drinking it, your will be done. Then he returned once more and found them asleep, for they could not keep their eyes open. He left them and withdrew again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing again. So we see Jesus' struggle in the garden. Jesus told us through St. Faustina how much he suffered the feeling of his abandonment in the garden. Feelings, again, see where the war is. Jesus feels the weight of the sin of the world and the pain of the loss of so many souls who would reject his love and even the pain of the abandonment of his apostles. All these pains hit Jesus on the level of his feelings. What was Jesus' response? Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus teaches us to surrender our will to the Father's. The will remains supreme. The feelings have to, at this point, take a back seat, as though to speak. 
And notice later from scripture we read that an angel came to comfort Jesus. Did you ever wonder why? An angel came to comfort his feelings, but only after he had made an act of the will. Then at the cross, Jesus is hanging and suffering so much pain, pain beyond all words, along with his mother Mary. Her sufferings are unspeakable. We can barely imagine her sufferings. Jesus' enemies are standing below the cross, mocking him and using his very sufferings as proof that Jesus is not God's son. His enemies call out to him, This wouldn't be happening to you if you were God's son. Come down now from that cross and join us. In other words, they're saying, Your feelings prove that you can't be God's son. And this is the same thing that Satan does to you and me. Where is your God now? All this suffering translates all these painful feelings you are experiencing. They wouldn't be happening to you now if God really cared about you. Why do you bother with all that faith stuff? These are the lies from the father of lies. We've all heard them and the many variations many, many times, almost daily. Now Jesus is in terrible pain. His feelings couldn't be worse. Matthew 27 tells us, Those passing by reviled him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God, and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him and said, He saved others, he cannot save himself. So he is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. So the father of lies loves to accuse, and uses the very sufferings that we experience, twisted into a lie, and tries to make it a reason why we should not believe. And where is all this fought? On the battleground of feelings. When Jesus was on the cross, his pain is immense. And we read from scripture some words which might seem to imply that he struggled between questioning whether he really was abandoned or not by God. When Jesus spoke those mysterious words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what we know for sure is that according to Luke's gospel, the last words of Jesus were, Father, Into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus would never have said that if he felt abandoned by his father. Father, Abba, into your hands I commend my spirit. There is the will striking out. You are my father. In spite of all these feelings, I believe my will is with you, Father. Perhaps a better understanding of those words of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is to realize that these words are the beginning of Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is all about describing the sufferings of the Messiah. And it begins with those very words. Let me read you some extracts from Psalm 22. My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Why so far from my call for help, my cries of anguish? In verse 7, But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by men, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They curl their lips and jeer. They shake their heads at me. He relied on the Lord. Let him deliver him. If he loves him, let him rescue him. And as we saw from Scripture, that prophecy came true. We pick up verse 17. Dogs surround me. A pack of evildoers closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. But you, Lord, do not stay far off. My strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the grip of the dog. And then in verse 23, we start to see how this whole psalm comes together. Then I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, give praise. All descendants of Jacob, give honor. Show reverence, all descendants of Israel. For he has not spurned or disdained the misery of this poor wretch. Did not turn away from me, but heard me when I cried out. I will offer praise in the great assembly. My vows I will fulfill before those who fear me. See, you can see that this prayer is a prayer of Jesus. And while it laments and recalls his predicted suffering, it also speaks of the confidence that God is with him and the psalm ends with this praise and joy. Now, Jesus would have known this psalm off by heart. There's no reason to think that Jesus said that solitary line and felt rejected by God. On the contrary, Jesus was declaring his trust in God. He was refusing to give over to the taunts of Satan, but gave his will over to the Father. How? Through forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. By making an act of the will. And three days later, his feelings would follow in the experience of the resurrection and the healing of his body to be glorified. So don't let that line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, confuse you or give you doubts about forgiveness. It's a beautiful line. It's the beginning of a prayer that Jesus prayed from the cross to link that prophecy with what was happening to him at that moment. And we can see all those prophecies were in fact fulfilled by the multitude and those who were attacking him. So then how do we deal with with this passive sin, this sin that has been committed against us? How do we deal with the deep hurts and emotional scars? Well, we said the key word is forgiveness. We put aside our feelings. And we may need to pray for the grace even to be able to want to forgive. I can tell you from my own experience, that was my first step. I had to pray to even want to forgive. The wound was that deep. Then we tell God we want to forgive. And we pray for those who have wounded us. Now it's not a quick fix. It can be a long journey of daily prayer. 
I know in that one time it took me nearly 18 months to be free of the wounds and the hurts and the resentment. And I can tell you, I recall the very moment I discovered I was free. A huge weight lifted off my shoulders. I was no longer a prisoner and a victim of unforgiveness. Their actions against me in the past was no longer my problem. Note that in forgiving those who hurt us, it does not mean that we are letting them off the hook, as though to speak. We are not making excuses for people to get away with their sin without facing the consequences of their actions. And this is especially important to note if we have been seriously wounded that may even be criminal. We let the authorities of the land deal out punishment in accordance with the law of the land and we let God deal out his justice according to his perfect will of love for each of us. But from our part, we need to forgive. Not to condone their wrong actions, but to allow us to experience healing and enjoy our life without the scars of their actions. If we don't allow forgiveness, we are in fact still allowing that person control over our lives, even after their sinful action has ceased. Forgiveness then is important. It's not a once-off event. The deeper the hurt, the more often we'll need to make an act of will to God and to pray for healing. And sometimes we may even need some good counselling to help us with this process. But just make sure that the spiritual dimension is a part of your healing program. Otherwise, it's never ever going to heal properly. Jesus is the ultimate healer. Now before we conclude, I just want to say a few words about another aspect of healing. There are so many good books around on healing, but please be on guard about people who speak about, in dealing with unforgiveness, the need to include forgiving God for the hurts he has allowed us to experience. This is all nonsense. We are never, never ever in any position to forgive God for anything he has done. All of God's actions are expressions of his love. He does not make mistakes. His love is perfect. We may not understand them, but that's our problem. If we ever feel that we are in need to forgive God anything, then we have already bought the lie from Satan. And in fact, we are then in need of forgiveness from him. There is nothing that God can ever do that requires our forgiveness. That kind of twisted thinking is nothing more than more lies from the father of lies. That kind of thinking is nothing more than Satan filling us with pride to think that we are ever in a position to have to forgive God. It's outrageous. You know, that's what they do in hell. They blame God for their situation. No, it's God who does the forgiving. We are the sinful creatures. God is the all-loving creator. Now, we haven't spoken too much about Our Lady in this, but of course she is so much a part of helping us to be able to forgive because she has had to live through it. She had to deal with all these feelings and the battleground of where Satan tries to do battle with us on this level of feelings. 
and so she has much to offer us. In dealing with her wounds of someone who's sinning against her as she witnessed her son's passion and death on the cross. And Mary is the perfect mother. She cares for the spiritual health of all her children. She knows how to dress our wounds and create an environment of healing. And when we receive Jesus in the Eucharist, we can ask Our Lady to intercede for us and to pour the healing balm of our Lord's love upon all our wounds of unforgiveness. Mary, being the spouse of the Holy Spirit, can intercede for us to call down all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we need to rise above the wounds of unforgiveness. Now obviously there is so much more we can say about the process of healing of our wounds and emotions, but what we have covered today lays an excellent foundation. It's simple, but it's very, very powerful. I found this understanding to be a tremendous help to bring about the healing of unforgiveness from wounds and scars that we all experience in life. I hope you have found them beneficial as well. So we'll end with a prayer, that beautiful prayer of the Our Father, where Jesus teaches us to forgive others in the same way as he forgives us, and we cooperate in his grace and in his mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.